Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Most Floridians have heard of the invasive Burmese python ravaging the Everglades wildlife, and most have also heard of the Pacific lionfish eating much of our native fish in the Florida Keys. But what about the invasive plants creating havoc on our ecology? One local nursery is fighting the good fight to replace invading species with native plants that help heal rather than harm our environment. Hi, I'm your host, Bob Williams. And I really believe one of the keys to any community is when you listen to each other's stories. It's one of the true roads to the local culture and connects us in a way that cannot be done any other way. In fact, that's why I created the Sarasota Stories podcast. I started so that you could get connected just a little bit deeper in this wonderful community we call home. In each episode, I interview a neighbor of ours who is doing great work in impacting our town in positive ways. So you'll hear from authors and artists entrepreneurs, civic leaders, and others share how they chose their profession, what they're working on now, and what their plans are for the future. My guests today are Laurel and Annie Schiller, a mother and daughter team who own and run the Florida Native Plants Nursery. In today's episode, you'll learn one thing most people don't know about the Schillers, the negative impact of invasive plant species and how replacing with native species helps local wildlife, how the Schillers consult with homeowners to turn their yards into a natural haven for birds and butterflies, and much, much more. Thank you for stopping by today, and remember to listen, to learn, and connect. Annie and Laurel Schiller of the Florida Native Plants Company, welcome to the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Hi, thanks for having us. Well, I, I feel like I get like a bonus episode because I have a mother-daughter team with me today. And so uh, this is going to be a lot of fun because I really enjoy talking about all things that have to do with ecology and plants and local floral and fauna and uh, certainly gardening. I, I really like to talk about that. So this is going to be a fun show today. Thank you. <laughs> we love talking about it too. Well, you know, before we get into what uh, Florida Native Plants does, I mean, the, I will say the title is pretty explanatory. One thing I always like to ask my guest is, what's one thing that most people don't know about you? Um, hi, it's Annie. Um, I have an art installation 
background. I went to school for art and um, I concentrated on transforming gallery spaces with my found objects. So I feel like not a lot of people know that, but it ties into what I'm doing now in an artistic and creative way. Now I'm using plants um, to create outdoor spaces for wildlife, but in art school, I transform gallery spaces. Oh, that's very cool. That's very cool. Well, uh, Laurel, how about you? What's one thing that most people don't know about you? That I'm a wildlife biologist and have multiple degrees. Um, I see gardening for wildlife when people walk through the or drive through the gate. And they may be buying uh, plants to beautify their property, but I see habitat for hummingbirds and songbirds and raptors and all the critters that share the planet with us. So that's that's my joy and something that most people don't recognize when they come through. They think we are horticulturalists, which we are, but we also have very background degrees that help us sort of expand our vision. Well, you know, it's interesting. When I was doing uh, some of the background research for this episode, I noticed that you really have an extensive background all the way from New York to Oregon to... Now to Florida, you've taught, you've consulted, you have been in so many different areas of kind of this business or this industry or whatever you want to call it. Where did your love for that first come from? Well, I, I think my mom and dad said I, I was born as a lover of wildlife and, and animals. And I was the neighborhood child that everyone brought the injured baby birds and the rabbits to. And I just grew up with, and my mother tolerated a lot of wildlife in our in our life, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, I thought that you had to go, if you love wildlife, you needed to be a veterinarian. So I started out doing that, but fell in love with a field of wildlife biology and moved into it at Oregon State years ago. And then that kind of expanded. Uh, my mom always said, well, how'd you go from bats, studying bats on the Oregon rivers, uh, to working in Australia, Northern Australia, and then to Florida. And for me, it's all about habitat. That's what we need to create for wildlife. And I'm most now interested in urban and suburban habitat. And that's right. where the average gardener comes in. Right. I mean, you know, unfortunately, I'm one of the, I guess we're all Yankees that came down to this wonderful area down here. But uh, I have become like so many other residents here concerned about the waterways and the ocean and really preserving what we have. And I read recently an article that it, it kind of lambasted Americans for having like this fascination with the, with these perfect landscapes that they have where everything's mowed. And um, of course you put all the fertilizer on and whatnot. And we spend thousands of dollars a year, you know, on our landscapes and hours, you know, we, we spend a lot of times in our yards and whatnot. But then there's kind of like this movement that you all are touch, touching upon, which is kind of the, I forget, you know, I don't know what the term is, you know, back to nature where you're, again, you're using the native plants for people's yards and whatnot. How much of that have you all seen uh, that's been growing uh, in this area? This desire, this di desire, I guess, kind of using the, you know, the native plants. Are you making a lot of traction in that area? So... I first moved down here about 11 years ago to help my mom with her nursery. And at the time, 
native plants was a very niche market and not a lot of people knew about them. But I have noticed over a period of 10 years and now, especially with COVID and a lot of more people being home and in their garden spaces, that there is a resurgence or um, an interest in, I think, more natural or ecological gardening. And so um, we've noticed more people at our nursery. I'm getting a lot more people interested in um, the consultations that we offer and design work. And so, um, yeah, there's definitely been more interest lately. And we usually slow down in the summer when it gets really, really hot and not a lot of people, you know, it's harder for them to be in their gardens. But this summer we had a lot more interest in um, people uh, coming out to the nursery than um, in previous summers. So there's a lot of positivity around that. We we started, the nursery was started by Tim Cash in 1982. And really up to that point, people hadn't thought about using regional, local plants in their landscaping. Most most gardens were filled with the latest and greatest coming in from some other part of the world. But in the early 80s, Butterfly Society, uh, Audubon, and some of the local uh, interested horticulturists began to think, well, why aren't we using the plants that are indigenous, we say native to Florida? And that movement is sort of built over the years. When I, I came in 92, and still I would give lecture after lecture and talk after talk and people would come out and I'd have to explain what local or native plants were. And they say, you mean, it's not hibiscus, it's not bougainvillea. And we'd go, no, no, <laughs> and we start over. But I see nowadays many people moving here from parts of the country where they've been using native plants, uh, you know, the local plants of the area. A lot of people coming in from California and the Midwest and they already pretty much linked in, which is which is very exciting. And the people that now come out to the nursery are pretty well informed. You know, we've got the internet, we've got a lot of um, local media as well as national media talking about the importance of a more natural approach to our gardening. The point we were talking there earlier about um, importance to biodiversity, to flora and fauna in our area is important. But also nowadays with what, a thousand people moving to Florida a day, they're suggesting um, 60%, the studies have shown that 60% of our potable water, our drinking water is for landscape use in Florida. And we need to stop that. We need to be thinking about getting plants established and then having them rely on natural rainfall. And we need to stop the use of the fertilizer and the herbicides. I could go on and on, but that's what natural gardening is about. So, 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 okay. So that's the big question that I have because, you know, 500 years ago, some coconut or whatever floated across the Pacific ocean or came up from Indonesia or some bird flew across the ocean and dropped some seeds on the soil here. What is indigenous? What is truly a native plant? How, how do y'all define that? <laughs> Basically, these are the plants that were here before European colonization. Uh, we say before Ponce de Leon went looking for the fountain of youth. About The date is about 1514. And they're plants that naturally grew here in the state. And so they're, the benefits of that is that they're naturally adapted over eons of time to our climate and to our soils and to changes over time 
that are Floridian in nature, sandy soils, uh, flooding, uh, hurricanes, uh, our trees and our shrubs, our, our plants that we think of as native are adapted to the living conditions here. So that's the great benefit. There are also plants that wildlife have come to depend on because they've been here for eons of time. So they're the first plants that are sought by birds and pollinators for survival. So that's a great connection there between animals and plants. And then, you know, obviously what, what we use here. So what, what are some of the, talk about some of the invasive plants and, and I guess, you know, the, the problems that they cause, and I'm sure some are worse than others. I'm sure some are maybe even beneficial. They're, they're, they're tapped as invasive, but you know, they do pro provide some beneficial uh, resources for, you know, local animals, but, but talk about some of the, the problems they cause. I do a lot of consultations with people on their properties. And the way we start is we identify some of the invasive species on their property. And the common ones that we typically find are house plants or plants that people have brought down from the north and planted in their gardens because they no longer have to worry about them freezing. Um, and these houseplants that are planted do too well in Florida. So they end up out competing any of the native species that would otherwise thrive in their yard. So, um, the, so when they outcompete the other native species, we lose biodiversity. So we tend, I tend to feel sometimes that, I'm being too strict or controlling about the plants that people should and shouldn't have. But then I always try to remind myself that invasive plants or plants that outcompete native plants end up taking away from biodiversity. Whereas with native plants, you're creating more biodiversity. So you're providing more food and habitat for native wildlife when you, when you remove those invasive plants that would otherwise outcompete natives. So we talk about plants like um, pothos is a big one. Um, pothos is a vine that is typically like one of the very hardy houseplants inside. So people, you know, like to can easily grow it inside, but when it gets outside, it can become a very invasive or a ground cover that takes over. And it also climbs trees like our native oaks and pines. And so it can eventually kill trees. Um, other plants that we see, that birds spread the seeds of are Brazilian pepper. And uh, there's also the invasive potato vine. So we get a lot of clients where, um, where their first job is to essentially remove invasive plants before they can even think about what they want to garden with and what right. they want to add. Very crucial that the first thing they do is uh, work on their property to get it to a point where like, other plants will have a chance of survival. Our biggest um, basic plant the grouping that we deal with is sod. Yes. Oh, that one. It's a big one. Lawn is the big one. Is That's sod, what we do. As in S-O-D, uh, sod. S-O-D, lawn, lawn, turf grass. Yeah. Uh, takes over every, I mean, it really will invade every single bed. It's, um, it's what we first start beginning to talk to people about, which is reducing their lawn and what could be placed in, in, in place of this monoculture. 
So when I think invasive species and I walk onto a property, I just look at around at the, at the amount of lawn. And in most homes, it's 85 to 90% of the outdoor space is in lawn. And that just doesn't work in Florida, not with sandy soils and drought, droughty winters. I'm and guilty. The, you can't I'm really guilty. have lawn without fertilizer. Without, right. without fertilizer and, and using herbicides or you lose it within two years. So well, it's it's what we look at constantly with people is the first question we ask is let's let's work on reducing lawn. Well, well, well then I guess one of the things that it don't, because I live in a neighborhood. And so if I wanted to go natural, then the question becomes the HOA, right? How do you deal with the HOA? Because there's a certain obviously different neighborhoods are have a certain similarity in their yards. And when somebody gets too far out in left and left and left field, you know, wants to go natural and whatnot, then you, then you got to deal with the HOA. What, what do you run into with that? Um, we tell people to be in communication with their HOA. So when they move into these communities, they usually sign a set of bylaws that are established by the community so they need to be sure to review those and to find out what they're capable of doing um, that the HOA will agree with. And I have found that if you submit a design or a native plant design and you want to reduce some lawn, um, a lot of HOAs will be willing to work with you. You just have to stay in communication with them, submit your thoughts and your design. Um, and, and then what we also see... <clears throat> is that people might have a more formal front yard space for their HOA where they will have, you know, a, the required amount of lawn and they might transform a couple of beds in the front of their landscape to, you know, native shrubs and trees, but it's their backyard spaces or their more private spaces where they might do more gardening for pollinators and wildlife um, and have it be a little bit more wild like with wildflowers yep, and grasses and, we see that a lot, backyard, private wildlife spaces that people get to sit out and enjoy because a lot of us are not even in our front yard spaces most of the time. So Interesting. But there are ways of reducing the input in those front yard spaces as well, um, reducing you know the fertilizers and the extra irrigation with native plants and still having a formal look. Right. And, and it would seem to me, I think people are obviously becoming a lot more sensitive to this as well. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. We, I, I live right next to a golf course. I'm sure y'all really love golf courses, don't you? I uh, <laughs> got nothing but sod out there, but, it, but I, I live right next to a golf course and my wife and I go out to have lunch and I see this big sprayer come by and I mean, it was a big one being pulled behind a tractor and they drop whatever fertilizer there. And then it wasn't, 15 minutes later that some guy comes by on a, a smaller tractor and is, you know, he's squirting, I'm sure a bunch of fungicide or, or pesticide or, or plant killer around the edges. And I had just had a conversation with somebody who was dealing with the, you know, just concern about our water quality around here and the concern about all this running into our waterways. I know what it was. It, no, it's actually an article that I had read about, the concern about the manatees here, because what happens is, is the runoff gets into the water. It creates algae. The algae blocks out the sun. It kills the grass that the manatees eat on and they starve. I was just like, I was just kind of like gobsmacked. And I'm like, we're sitting there, you know, having our lunch. I'm like, I'm watching this happen right in front of me. And I, I know you guys have dealt with this for years, 
But it would seem to me like that message is starting to get out. And so people are wanting to do more of the more indigenous plants, you know, to be a part of the solution instead of just kind of turning a blind eye to it. I think a lot of it has to do with the connection that you made between what you're seeing right in front of you and the article you read about manatees. Once people make that connection between the importance of like the choices that they make for their outdoor spaces and like the effects of that, I think that they come to us and buy plants. So <laughs> that, that connection is important. We also talk with people a lot about their own pesticide use around their houses um, how to garden in a way to reduce pests from your foundation without having to use those chemicals. Because if you are interested in butterfly gardening or gardening for pollinators and birds, then you also can't be spraying for pests and bugs around your house or in your garden spaces. So a lot of the times people won't make that connection either. They'll think that they can have a butterfly garden and also spray for bugs right. and insects. So um, once they make that connection, I think it's transformative. So I'm hoping that with more interest in gardening for wildlife and pollinators, that people will start making more of those connections. Yeah, we've, we've seen that over the last three or four years in this interest in helping monarch butterflies. And many people that have probably never thought about using local plant, native plants of an area, uh, want to attract butterflies to their property, and particularly the monarch, because they read a lot about the, the problems in the migra migratory routes and in summer and winter um, grounds for and, and safe havens for these. And they want to be part of the solution. And basically what it really, what it comes down to is planting the right plants because uh, the milkweed is what supports the monarchs. And they make that connection by plant monarchs I'm sorry, if I plant milkweed, the monarchs will come. And that actually happens here in South Florida. We have a year-round population of monarchs, and a lot of it is supported by gardening and the fact that we don't have uh, difficult cold winters anymore or frosts are uncommon. So a number of people begin to make that connection that there are certain, certain plants that are important if you would like to attract and support um, certain kinds of wildlife. And butterfly gardening is a real introduction to individuals who are thinking about change. Sorry, one more thing is we don't do maintenance and we don't do, we we're updating our website. My mom did a lot of the mitigation and restoration, um, but we are mostly working with homeowners now to do gardens. So we offer consultation and design and installation as well as um, advice at the nursery, our retail nursery. So, so what does that look like when a, when a customer comes to you? So our typical customer is somebody that finds us on the web and is interested in gardening for wildlife and gardening naturally and reducing their inputs like fertilizers and pesticides. And they find our nursery and they drive out to us during our open hours and they look around and they've either done some background research or studied some plants or they're excited about some plants and they're coming to get those plants or they're brand new to Florida and brand new to gardening here. Some people are even brand new to the concept of native plants and what that means. So I generally start 
we tell people to come out to our nursery and experience our nursery because we have gardens there and we have the plants and we've worked really hard on our signage to make it easy for people to understand how to plant the plants and where to plant the plants. And we guide them at the nursery too. The people that work at the nursery, we're a really small team, but we're all really knowledgeable about gardening in Florida with the plants that we've carried for over 30 years now. So we, um, so it's easy for someone to get started on their own if they want to, but I find that sometimes people need extra guidance. So we offer consultations at our nursery. Uh, they're usually an hour long and people can bring pictures and talk to me about what their visions are for their space. And we guide them. We can, I usually just take it where they're at, right? Take it from where they're at right now in their gardening journey. So if they're in the beginning, we start there. If they have specific questions about certain plants and uh, companion planting, then we do that. Or if they want me to sketch little designs, I can sometimes do that there too. But basically the hour long introduction at the nursery is to get people started in a way where they feel comfortable taking on a project right then. Or uh, sometimes people want me to visit their space um, and I do that for an hour-long consultation as well. And we walk around the space and we talk about their vision for it. We identify plants that are there. We usually do a lot of introducing to new design concepts that that people might not even think about as being um, aesthetically pleasing or um, important for gardening in Florida and for maintaining your house. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, common practices done that we don't encourage in Florida through our gardening practices. So we, we start with all of that. And then from there, if people want even more help, I do graphic designs on paper. I can oh, help. Wow. Those are sometimes helpful for people that have HOAs so they can submit the design and the designs include species lists and, um, it also includes a price for you know all the plants. And from there, we also do installation for small gardens. And, um, you know, those usually take us a day once we've decided on the palette and the design, we can help people with that. But we have a lot of customers that break it up into whatever they want. So some customers just take that initial consultation and get going with their gardens and others like to take their design and work from it by themselves from there and come get the plants from us. And then other people want us to do it all for them. Uh, so we work with people wherever they are, knowledge-wise and budget-wise. To just Our main goal is just to get native plants in the ground. <laughs> so we try to I say, out bring the people gate, on. Out the gate, out of the pots, and we grow and, and bring in plants from all over this area. And our... That is our main goal, is that they go back out the gate and into the landscapes for all the benefits that they that they help people create on their properties. Well, it's, it's a wonderful service and a wonderful company that you have. It, it, it's funny, Annie, you're talking about you're getting ready to redo your website. I was going to commend you guys on how well developed your website is. It does have all the information that people need to come and visit you. It is open to the public. Thursday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. You're also open Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesdays by appointment, and that's for your landscaping consultation. What I'm interested in coming out 
to see is your demonstration gardens that you have out there. I'm sure those are lovely. Yes, we also love to garden. So we maintain native plants in the landscape at the nursery. Our gardens have become a collage, I guess you would say, of uh, gardening for shade, um, for sun. We are we are a wetlands out at the nursery. There's different ecosystems in Florida, and, and our nursery is a lot more wet than what you'd find in like the upper, in, in your typical Sarasota garden, uh, which is more high and dry and sunny. But we, um, but we do, we do offer a lot of, we basically when mom bought the nursery, she started planting trees. So we have a ton of canopy. So we work with a lot of shade gardening at the nursery. And cool. we, we also have butterfly gardens, yeah. hummingbird gardens, yeah. uh, demonstration pond. We have demonstration buffer areas and, and you can actually come out, which is nice and see um, what the shrubs and trees will look like after 20 or 30 years. And that's that's something that difficult people to kind of get their head around. Well, this plant is in a three gallon pot or a one gallon pot, but what will it look like in three years? And we have mature landscapes that we can point to and we walk people around and talk about the importance of shade. And and then we can point to the trees and say these trees are now it was mostly a pasture when we started in the ni- yep. early 90s. But now we can say in 30 years, this is. This is canopy uh, nice. that can be created. Create that canopy in in three to five years. We have a growing season that is year round in Florida, which is South Florida where we're at, which is fantastic. What would take ten years in a northern landscape takes three to maturity down here. So it's it's you get a lot of gain for the change. It's not a slow process, people. After a few years, always talk about that. You know, you spend three years planting and then the rest of the time taking care of the plants that you have. So, right, right. Well, I know, I know it well from growing up in the Midwest. Well, so three to five years down the road, what can we expect from Florida native plants? Where are you taking the company? So, we have been busier than usual, which is really exciting, which has sort of like thrown me into less survival mode of the nursery and more thinking about expansion and um, other services we can offer. I would love to create a more community destination. So I want to have workshops. I want to have more workshops and more educational things going on at the nursery. And um, we want to do more of our own growing Sourcing native plants is something that has to be done from all over the state. Uh, So when we can't source something feasibly, we have to grow it ourselves. And uh, with the high demand of native, the more demand for native plants now, there's also more more of a demand for the plants to be grown. So we like to grow ourselves because we grow organically. That's something we actually really uh, take pride in at the nursery is that we try to run it really sustainably. So we don't use chemicals like Roundup. We don't use synthetic chemicals on our plants. Um, we have kids that run around all the time and dogs that are welcome to visit on leashes. So we really try to create an environment that is safe for everybody, including wildlife and birds. <laughs> and uh, we have some farm animals at the nursery. So we... Um, 
we're interested in growing and expanding and offering more of a community destination for uh, the community. <laughs> and I'm I'm interested in the fact that we are transitioning from one generation to the next. And so many nurseries there's are limited by the fact that once the owners uh, retire, they sell, and then the nursery becomes a barn and a, and a house with two horses. So we've had a lot of issues where the land just becomes too expensive to remain used as a nursery. But my goal and, and joy is transitioning to this next generation, which is Annie's generation and, and the people we are hiring now. And there's a lot of interest in um, 20 and 30 year olds that about natural gardening and using indigenous native plants. And, and I see that I'm very hopeful about that generation. So we now are transitioning from uh, my era to, to theirs. And that's very exciting for me. We've also well, been carrying, learning more about edible plants. Um, we now have, we've, we've focused a little bit on medicinal and edible plants and how native plants fit into that realm. And then we're expanding into uh, creating garden spaces where you can grow your own food also. I, I think that's uh, spot on. I am certainly interested in that. Uh, I, I and often wondered growing up, you know, if I should have kind of gone into that business, what do you call it, ethnobotanist or whatever, using uh, medicinal plants mm -hmm. for uh, for medicinal reasons. So, well, it sounds like you have, it sounds like you all have a wonderful, wonderful business and people can find you again. Basically, most of our listeners are going to be living here to the east of you, so they're going to drive straight out. Fruitville Road till dead ends hang a right, and you will find Florida Native Plants Nursery right out there. I appreciate the two of you coming on the show, and I would love to have you on in the future. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect. Connect.